When you hear the word vulnerability, what first comes to your mind? Is it weakness, defenseless, unprotected? Basically, a sense of dread. I'm vulnerable, I'm exposed. Would you be surprised to learn that it actually is the secret for indestructible strength? That's what we will be discussing, celebrating vulnerability, the source of indestructible strength. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson for another weekly episode of our Master Global Class titled Celebrating Vulnerability, the Source of Indestructible Strength. This program is dedicated in honor of the engagement of Menachem Mendel Leiter and Esther Jacobson, proudly dedicated by Jacobson family. Vulnerability. When you hear that word, what do you think? I feel vulnerable. Many people would associate it initially with the word being exposed, unprotected, defenseless, weak, invulnerable. Invulnerable sense elicits the feeling of absolute strength indestructible. What we will be discussing is counterintuitively the exact opposite is true. The true source, the secret source for indestructible strength, for indestructibility in general, is vulnerability. Okay, so let's discuss it. And uh, I should begin by saying that we are right now in the period in time between Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, and Sukkot, which is a celebration, an exuberant celebration of joy during this holiday season. And indeed, that was what was the real catalyst for discussing this topic, as I shall explain a little later during the program. The word vulnerable, we can definitely say as it is with so many other words in the, in the English language, that it can have many meanings. So for example, when you say the word shame, shame can be a positive shame, it can be a negative shame. As we've discussed many times, shame can be one that demoralizes you, paralyzes you, or shame can be a positive force that motivates you. It all depends what kind of experience it is. The same thing with the word vulnerable. Yes, vulnerable can mean a person is completely exposed Defenseless can be hurt, but it also could mean other things which are far greater when, for example, a newborn child is vulnerable. So on one hand, yes, that child needs to be protected, but that vulnerability, would you ever want to give up a young child's vulnerability? The vulnerability of our very human nature, is that a negative? Would we want to become supermen, superwomen, that were impossible to be hurt, that were so protected? Think of it like someone who's 
whatever reason, they've been hurt in life, they've been traumatized, so they develop a defense mechanism called a very heavy set of armor. So yes, they may feel invulnerable, nobody can pierce their armor, but will they ever have a true trusting relationship? The very nature of a relationship, love means that in some ways you're vulnerable. If you're invulnerable, meaning that you cannot be hurt, you're insensitive, you're protected, that's not a relationship. A relationship means that you care about the other person's feelings and you care about how they feel about you. And when you don't feel nurtured or you feel that the other person in some way slighted you, you're going to feel hurt. Many of us don't want to be that vulnerable. Is that a healthy version of invulnerability or an unhealthy version? So I think the the answer is obvious. Just because you put on armor doesn't make you invulnerable. It just means maybe you're so vulnerable they have no choice but to put up so many defense mechanisms. They say the porcupine, the porcupine, that creature with such sharp needles has one of the softest, if not the softest, underbellies. So it therefore has needles to protect itself because that underbelly is so tender and so fragile. So many times when we see spikes, when we see an outer toughness, a uh, needles, it could very well be that this person is just a very gentle soul that, that is trying to protect itself from being hurt. So the fact that you have so-called such heavy levels of heavy layers of armor doesn't mean that you're invulnerable. It just may mean that you're even more vulnerable. That's why you need the armor. So that does not necessarily demonstrate just because a person is... Uh, is aggressive or seems to be very confident, that doesn't mean that they're not vulnerable. So we see once you go beneath the surface, this topic is far more complex than just, oh, I'm vulnerable, I'm invulnerable. So I want to begin in explaining it from the context, from a mystical context, somewhat of a spiritual context. And the child is a good example because a child is always the earliest and purest version of ourselves. So child does not have defense mechanisms, psychologically, emotionally, in the early stages of life. Maybe they're subtle, maybe their mind they're obviously there for the child to cry when it's hungry or in pain, so it does cry out. It's not completely exposed, but generally speaking, a child is a vulnerable creature, which tells us something about truth. Before we developed all our projected selves, before we developed our defenses and our armor and all the different ways we maneuver in life, what do we like at the core essence? We spoke about this last week pre-Yom Kippur. We are a pure force of energy. And when it's not yet encased in any layers, it is very pure, very tender, very subtle, and yes, very vulnerable. The only reason vulnerable would be seen as a negative is because we live in a hostile world where there are predators and there are other forces that can hurt us. But just for imagine, just for use your imagination for a moment. Let's say you're living in an environment where none of that is an issue. Only truth matters. And there's no predators and there are no exploiters and there's nobody trying to take advantage. Everything is exactly where it's meant to be. Would vulnerability be a problem? No. Why not? Because there's no reason not to be vulnerable. Why would you need to have a walls? Why would you need to have doors? Why would you need to have any type of layers? 
pure essential energy is what it is. And if that's the environment, and there's no one in that intrudes that comes from a different mindset or perspective, everybody's safe. More than just safe. I don't mean safe as in the absence of harm. I mean safe in the fundamental sense of the word. Now, would you believe it if I told you that when the mystics and the spiritualists talk about reality, they actually talk about such dimensions. Some call it paradise. Some call it Gan Eden. Some call it the world to come. The higher spiritual realms that where a soul dwells without a body, and without a physical form, is considered to be exactly that. A world with no crime, with no pain, with no hurt, with no exploitations. What you see is what you get. There's no duplicity. It's a pure world of energy. Think of it exactly like that. Energy without containers. Well, I should clarify that. Not, I can't say without containers at all. It has an identity. But without containers as we know it, the husks of this world. So when a child appears, is born and emerges into this world, it's coming from that reality. That's why a child is vulnerable. Because the child is coming from a pure reality, just like the child in the mother's womb. It doesn't need to protect itself in the literal sense. Obviously, there's a certain built-in immune system that the child has, but the child is protected by the nurturing, being engulfed in the embryonic fluids for nine months, nurtured, fed, taken care of. How much more so before conception, where the soul doesn't even, has not even developed, developing into a fetus yet, it, it has completely, a complete vulnerable state. Because essentially it's a pure state. To go even deeper, in the words of the Eitz Chaim, the Eitz Chaim is a classic work authored by the great mystic, Rabbi Isaac Luria, the Arizal, penned by his student, Rabbi Chaim Vital, hence the name Eitz Chaim, Tree of Life. Chaim has his name, Chaim Vital. So right in the beginning, the classic statement, that in the beginning, meaning not beginning uh, in time, but conceptually, which is also right now, the root of all things, everything was a seamless flow of energy, of divine energy. And there was no room for any other identity, no room for any other consciousness. And thus, the divine concealed its presence, at least from a certain segment of this infinite field of energy. And therein would arise and emerge another consciousness, the beginning of reality as we know it. So when you're in a state of seamless energy of that nature, there is nothing, there's no other opposing force. There's no second force altogether. Everything is part of one seamless whole. Again, just to use our... Uh, imagination, imagine the universe. Every human being knew exactly where they were, what they're supposed to be doing, is confident and secure in their, excuse me, indispensable contribution, like an, like an orchestra, and respects everyone else because they have, they're complemented by and complemented, they complement and are complemented by every other entity. Nature at its best, without any human intervention. A perfect harmony. And even when things go out of sync or out of whack due to a natural, um, let's say, a volcano, an earthquake, a fire fire, 
a fire, a forest fire. Nature has its way of balancing it, it has its way of regenerating, and there's a balance. In a reality like that, there is no context of the word vulnerable, not vulnerable. Of course nature is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to the elements, but it's part of the elements, and it's part of one whole. How much more so when you're talking about this state that the Arizal talks, discusses, complete seamlessness. And it gives us a, a template, type of backdrop of what pure reality is like. I wouldn't be surprised if William Blake, when he wrote the poem, The Doors, when he writes that to cleanse the doors of perception and see things as they are, one whole, one unity, oneness, was taken from these ideas of the Ariza. So in other words, we have doors, and incidentally, the, yes, the rock band, Jim Morrison's rock band called The Doors was taken from Blake's poem. So we have doors of perception that filter, that regulate, that shape. So those doors ultimately would become, I'm not necessarily going to call them defense mechanisms, but they're definitely layers that may conceal and even distort in the process that true seamless reality, oneness. But that is precisely the purpose of existence, not to remain a seamless soul, to have diversity like we do have, to have other consciousness, and yet that other consciousness does not conflict with the true consciousness and reconnects and reunites with it. Here's not the place to go into what, why exactly is that the reason for existence, but this is an axiomatic principle in why existence is here in the first place. But the bottom line is what we have is now two paradigms. One paradigm of seamless purity, Total, and therefore total vulnerability. You don't even use the word vulnerable. Why? Because vulnerable is only in a context where there's an invulnerable possibility, a vulnerable possibility. In this context, everything is pure. There's no consideration. It's not like we even have to preempt the possibility of one hurting another. So therefore, vulnerability is a natural state. There's no need for any other thing. It is real because it's real. So then comes a reality that becomes, I would even call it a distortion, distortion from our perspective, that we suddenly think, oh, there's more than one entity, and therefore they're fighting and competing over resources. Who's going to dominate? And as soon as you have that other, that possibility of who's going to dominate can lead to one trying to exploit, dominate the other, and therefore the need for protection. And hence, vulnerability suddenly becomes a word that one second, I feel exposed, I feel not defended, I feel defenseless. I need to protect my interests, because if I don't, someone else will. And if you think about it, that would evolve into the dog-eats-dog mentality of survival of the fittest, whoever's stronger wins. Which, of course, creates in the psyche and consciousness of any type of environment like that of feeling one second. Who's going to protect me? I feel exposed. I feel vulnerable. Reminds me of the joke, the two guys go camping. And in the middle of the night, one of them wakes up. He hears something scurrying about. And he looks out through the hole of the, the opening of the tent, and he sees, yeah, there's a bear looking for scraps. A bear is not a simple matter. So he quickly wakes up his friend and says, 
we got to get up, we got to get out of here, there's a bear. And while he's doing so, he's tying his sneakers, he's tying his shoelaces. So his friend says to him, what do you think, you can outrun the bear? He says, no, all I have to do is outrun you. It's a sad, tragic joke, actually, because it reflects a mentality. Survival of the fittest. The world or universe I was describing is one where we're in it together. We need each other. We're part of one whole. As a matter of fact, a beautiful poetic Talmudic statement in the Jerusalem Talmud, there's a Babylonian Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud, says the following. All human beings are part of one organism. It's like different arms, legs, different parts of one organism. Is it conceivable that one, one, organism, one limb in the organism would attack another, would hurt another? Even if you disagree with it? No, because it's one organism. So why is it that we, don't, we could hurt each other? All the roots of injustice and war and worse. <clears throat> Prejudice, discrimination. And I'm not going to spell out all the worst possible scenarios that that can lead to. Is because we don't feel it. And that's the great symptom that the Arizal, that I mentioned earlier, explains in that context. When there was that seamlessness where everything, or everything, where there was one seamless unified whole, there's no issues. But there's also no purpose. The symptom conceals that presence, that conscious presence, allows for another consciousness to emerge and that also evolves stage by stage just like the fetus development of the fetus from the point of conception to the point of birth and now you have that a new reality you have different entities who may not feel that they're connected even though they are modern physics one of the most fascinating revelations of modern physics is the recognition that the entire universe and all universes are intrinsically and integrally connected. The fact that we see different parts, some physicists even go, physicists go as far as saying that's an illusion. It's an illusion from the eye of the beholder. When in truth, there's a glue that connects all subatomic particles. Different theories for this. And, and of course, real proofs. This isn't based on faith. And I'm pointing it out, I'm emphasizing this specifically because to make the point that this is now common scientific reality, scientific um, uh, truths. Not that we need it necessarily, but when it's confirmed, it's much, of course, much richer. So it confirms that concept of an integral connection. So then why is it possible for us to harm the environment, to harm each other, to harm ourselves, for that matter? Because we don't feel it. We don't sense it. And that too is part of the purpose. There's something that conceals. We cannot see. We see the pieces. We don't see their connection. We don't see how they're all part of one narrative, of one music, one symphony. And our mission is to overcome that blind spot and see through the veil and the veils and the defense mechanisms and the armor and all the layers upon layers upon layers and access that unified connection that connects us all, the harmony within diversity. The Kabbalists actually have 
the mystics and Kabbalists and the Hasidic masters actually have a language for all these veils. Sometimes it's called a curtain, a shroud, a husk. It all depends on which level, but there are many. Suffice it to say, there are many such level, layers. Those layers will evolve in a purely psychological context into our own layers of armor. So, to put it very practically, we all have friends. We have people who we really trust, hopefully. We have people we don't trust. And we have people who we're neutral to. You meet a new person, you don't just open up. You always have your um, hesitation. You have your due diligence you do until you come to a point you can trust. What, what are you doing in that process? You are, as you learn to know somebody, you learn to trust them. What you're doing is stripping the veils. So the first time you meet somebody, we usually, in a normal context, we can be civil and decent and normal and in a very beautiful conversation, but we don't suddenly just allow ourselves to be exposed and share everything. So we share a certain amount, we regulate, we gauge, literally regulate how much we are going to share. As you get to know somebody, why do you share more? Because you trust, since you trust, you're more open to stripping some of the veils, some of the shrouds, some of the curtains, the partitions, the husks, the different layers. The more you get to know someone, in a sense you can say the formula is, the more veils have been removed. People who truly, truly love each other in the deepest possible way, most intimate possible way, have the least amount of veils, least amount of layers. Whether you call it armor, whether you call it defense mechanisms, faces that we put on, that we project, whatever it may be. Now, someone growing up, okay, so that's the formula for that, that describes basically how we communicate with each other. So you can say vulnerability is a direct result of less veils. The more the veils, the more the shrouds, the more the need to put up layers of uh, buffers, if you wish. You know, think of it like you have a fortress. So you, have, you don't just have one door. You have two doors, three doors. You have all kinds of security levels until you get to the plate because it's so precious. It has to be surrounded and protected from theft, damage, and other forms of, uh, that, that can harm whatever it is that you're considering precious. So the same thing psychologically. We have many doors. Trust and connection in a healthy relationship is there less doors or the doors are opened. And... With discretion, there are some people that we allow in on that level and some we le- allow less in. It's simple as that. Sometimes people say, you know, have, have your guard up when you meet certain individual. Why? Because you've had an experience. Hopefully, it's an accurate one. Sometimes it's actually also mistaken, a mistaken uh, perception that somebody may have hurt you. Now, to add to the equation, if we grew up in, in those vulnerable children in homes where our trust was violated and our, our personal lives were violated in one way or another, whether through abuse or through absenteeism or through invalidation or critique or actually real uh, overt abuse, what happens? We develop. We start developing more and more doors, more than the natural ones, because we need added protection. Now, you remember, a child will not do that instinctively and naturally on its own. A child will be hurt before it does that because the child doesn't want to believe that someone that loves this child can hurt the child. But there comes a point where a child, 
and that's the way God created us, will develop its own, doesn't need to calculate or go to an attorney or go to a security agency. The child naturally has ways to protect. Just like when you see somebody's about to punch you, you know, you put up your arms. Instinctively. The same thing emotionally and psychologically. We have ways we put up our doors to protect ourselves. And what happens then is we grow into adults, in addition to the natural veils and uh, partitions and uh, layers that we usually have, we now, we now have a few more that we need to contend with, which makes it more difficult, obviously, to open up, because once you've been hurt, it remains with you. It doesn't just go away. Trauma doesn't just disappear on its own. So life can be complicated. That vulnerable you, therefore, remains, in a sense, locked away. Sometimes so locked away, you may yourself not be aware of it because you've not allowed it to emerge. So you've developed another identity. It could be a tough identity, be a different identity, identity that you can, where you can manage, where you can cope. And you're afraid of really allowing that vulnerable side to emerge because it was hurt, and you don't want to be hurt again. No different than when you have a wound and somebody's about to touch you on that wound, you're going to move away. You're not going to let that wound be hurt again. We'll talk shortly about how we work with that. But that is the picture of vulnerability in the reality that we live in. And it's vital to understand this evolution and these paradigms because if you think that your reality and your fears and insecurities and your need to protect yourself is that's it, that's the status quo remains the only controlling force in your life, obviously you won't have anything to work toward. That is why it's so beautiful to hear, even though for some of us it may be fantasy and, and a dream of a reality where there is seamlessness, where there isn't a need, there's no competition, and there's no need to protect yourself. It may seem out of our realm completely, but getting to know that reality actually begins to resonate after a while because you start realizing, one second, I have a part of me that's that way. I actually feel that that truth is actually more about me than I would have imagined. And I've seen this. I've seen people who study and read about it, even though they have not yet applied it, and initially dismiss it as, oh, that's not real. We live in a world, dog eats dog. People are just completely self, the selfish gene, survival of the fittest. You'd be lucky to have a few people who care about you here and there. And if you really go to a cynic who's been hurt, I mean, they'll give you the worst possible scenario. What people will do to each other just to protect their own skin. How they'll hurt each other resort to cannibalism even harming for self-protection and if you add to the equation a Darwinian Freudian model psychology, social Darwinism some call it or where the id is the driving force me, me, me and everything else is superimposed what are you left with? with the conclusion that this world is very dangerous and we need to protect ourselves and vulnerability is not a good thing so understanding there's another paradigm, and we actually originate from that pure paradigm. And that's actually part of who you really are. Despite the layers of armor, that changes things. I use this all the time in speaking with people. For, as I said, always initial, there's initial resistance to this concept. Nobody wants to hear that I'm really vulnerable and it's a good thing. It sounds too dangerous. It sounds too threatening, frightening. But once you get to know it, then you get more comfortable. And I would never impose it. You never, there's no, you don't, you never have a full-out uh, assault on a human psyche. 
But slowly you assimilate the idea, what happens is you become comfortable and you realize that's really what I want. In other words, it's what I want is love. Because love is exactly that. It's celebrating vulnerability. And it's the reality of who we are. So actually fighting it, even though you can get away with it perhaps for a while, and I would say you won't really get away with it, there'll always be consequences, but fighting your own self, the own natural self that belongs, that feels like a fish in water when it's loved and embraced and nurtured, is being your own worst enemy. And here we go into the concept of indestructibility. You say, okay, fine, no problem. Vulnerability, a beautiful thing, I have to learn to celebrate it. You think when two people are intimate in a sacred way, what is happening? They don't just take off their clothes physically. They're also taking off their other layers. All those layers they use to project, to protect, to function, to maneuver, to manage, to succeed. We all do this all the time, the negotiations of our daily lives. So when two people are intimate, they're stripping themselves of every layer. And the more they strip themselves, the more they get to that core being where they become like one flesh, the more they're celebrating their vulnerability and the deeper the intimacy and the deeper the connection. I write about this more in my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, the chapter on intimacy. You can check that out. Now, so you'll say, okay, fine, beautiful. But how do you associate vulnerability as celebrating vulnerability with indestructibility? So let's use a simple example again from nature. Which is more likely to withstand a very powerful storm? A reed that is flexible and yields or a, an, a, a, a tree any other item that is rigid and firm and is not unwavering. So initially, many would say, the firm, rigid. You need a storm, you need to be strong. But you'll see the reed, precisely because of its vulnerability and its flexibility, and and it yields. So as the wind blows, it doesn't fight the wind. It allows itself to blow with the wind, and then it comes back. A tree or any other firm item may withstand certain winds, but it won't withstand all winds. Because at some point, if the wind is stronger, so the resistance may not be there. So you can build strong defense mechanisms, and that can protect you from many enemies, but not from all enemies. Whereas if you learn the, the, the secret of yielding, the secret of giving, of flexibility, then you become indestructible. That's point number one. Point number two, if indeed our very nature, our core essential nature, is a vulnerable one, so fighting it is not really achieving anything. All you're doing is protecting yourself. It's like surrounding yourself with a a horde of armies and armor and weapons and arsenal to protect that vulnerable side. So essentially your life becomes one, you're playing defense. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have told me once we start talking about it. I said, how many hours and energy, how many hours and how much energy do you invest to fight your demons? It's very, very um, humiliating and, uh, and the, the, the demoralizing thought when you come to think about it. You end up saying, one second, you know what? 
I spend more time thinking about how to protect myself and how not to be hurt or remembering those that hurt me than focusing on growth, on building, on developing love and relationships. So what you see from this is, point number two, it's not just that the yielding and flexibility is so necessary for, 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 being, for surviving, more than surviving, we'll soon talk about indestructibility, but it's also who you, who you are. So fighting yourself and just in the, need, in the mode of protection. So it's one thing when you're in the line of fire, you're growing up in a home, let's say, a very abusive home, so there's no choice. You need to put up your, your um, shields. But once you leave home and the shields are still there, you're not going to let other people in. You may find someone that you would truly love. You don't let them in because you are still in that mindset that perspective, that you need shields up. So what's happening? Are you becoming invulnerable? No, you're actually far more fragile because you have to constantly put up more and more walls to constantly protect yourself. So that's why vulnerability, for these two reasons, is the secret, is the method of building true Powerful indestructibility. So the swimmer, the good swimmer, who knows how to deal with the tide, he's not going to fight, fight the tide, fight the storm. He'll allow himself to float like the reed in the wind. The bad swimmer, or the one who's not trained, will try to fight it and get exhausted in the process. So my friends, the key to indestructibility is navigating and navigating, not invulnerability, not perfection, not having this such superhuman strength. The people who have that superhuman strength that we talk about, you'll see, have an element of vulnerability. I don't like the word surrender because it also elicits negativity, surrendering to your enemy. But yes, they surrender a certain fact that I'm not in control of everything. That's what the reed says. I'm not in control. The winds are blowing. Let them blow. I'll just go with the wind. That's what the good swimmer does. That powerful force says, no, I'm going to stand strong. I'm not going to allow that wind to blow me down. Now, sometimes you may manage. Sometimes you won't. But even when you do, that's what you're invested in, fighting the wind. Whereas the key to real instructability is, no, I'm not afraid of a wind. And even if a stronger wind comes, I always have that ability, that dexterity. So in psychological terms, it's really coming to peace, coming, what do I want to say? Being coming to a peaceful state where you come, you're, you're in peace with your own vulnerability. You celebrate it. And that indeed allows you to know, even before the winds come, even before the storm strike, even before any, any type of trauma in life, that you will be able to navigate which leads me back to the holiday, the Sukkot holiday. What is the key feature of Sukkot? Is we sit in these makeshift huts that are very vulnerable and very fragile. They're not like our homes, our mansions. Strong walls protect us from the elements, locked doors. A sukkah is a very fragile uh, shack, basically, with a roof made of some bamboos or other uh, some other... Um, uh, um, uh, vegetation. Some use pine, 
pine uh, pine leaves or pine branches, which means it can rain in, it can snow in. A sukkah on its own is vulnerable to the heat and cold. It's very easy to break in, or altogether you don't have to break in. The doors are usually not even locked, even if you have a little chain. So why would one move from a comfortable, completely protective fortress into a portable shack? So one of the reasons is to demonstrate our trust in God that He protects us, not our home, not our doors. Of course, we have to do everything possible to protect ourselves. But at the end of the day, life is fragile and vulnerable. And celebrating it for seven, eight days and the holiday of Sukkot is actually making us stronger. That no, I don't need only my armor to protect me. I can be in a place like that, be surrounded with loved ones, and at the same time not become weaker, but actually become stronger in the process. I'm accepting. I'm accepting my own vulnerability. Now, obviously, in a very practical sense, we lock our doors and a sukkah, yes. Can a sukkah leave you vulnerable to a vandal or to someone that means to do harm? Of course. That's because we live in this world. We're not in paradise. We're not in the, in the energy, pre-symptom energy. But, barring that scenario, that concept is a beautiful concept. Because it teaches us something. Now, we're not asked to do that all year round. Seven, eight days, one week a year. To remind us of the time when the Jewish people traveled through the wilderness and they were protected by the clouds of glory. So even when we're in a state where we may be, feel completely exposed, Viktor Frankl talks a lot about it, man's search, man search for meaning, how people in the most dire circumstances in the concentration camps there were those that made the choice and they went around helping others, offering them a piece of bread, a kind word. Because they did not allow their vulnerability to destroy them. They allowed it to bring out even deeper part of their humanity. So that was our extreme circumstances. But the point is celebrating vulnerability is the essence of this holiday. And it's beautiful. Because right after Yom Kippur, when you get in touch with that inner vulnerable place, now you're ready to express it. So really, Sukkot is the celebration of expressing your vulnerability, your connection, your intimacy with your loved ones, with friends, and even inviting strangers. You cannot, know how, you cannot imagine how refreshing it is when you have a conversation with someone and two people can connect on a vulnerable level. It becomes real. You immediately say, ah, that's a real experience. It wasn't based on, oh, so what would you learn about this person? Well, I learned they're smart. They're, they're uh, successful, they're industrious, they can do this, they can do that. When you have that experience, there's a certain connection that never goes away. I remember years ago, we used to do, we used to, Munich for Life Center, we had once a year a summer weekend retreat, camping retreat. Camping. Not in a five-star hotel, not in a one-star hotel. Out in the woods, camping grounds. In the beginning... I remember when I was invited for the first time to go to an event, I said, why would I go to something like that? You know what I learned? That when you're with people in those environments, you're camping, 
you're praying, you're eating meals in an open tent. The very vulnerability of the situation is not just refreshing, it completely reveals a whole other dimension that you would never know about. Something about walls, concrete walls, man-made structures that tend to conceal or at least repress some of our truer selves. So I remember the rain would come, and sometimes it rained, I can tell you, it was very uncomfortable. But those are the only ones that, the only those memories that are unforgettable. I still hear from people 15 years ago when we did it. I cannot forget what experience I had. You don't forget these moments, not just because it was uncomfortable. It's not the discomfort that remains with you. It's the openness, the honesty, that naked honesty, truth, without walls, without structures. It is a, an unbelievable resource we have that we don't access. And now in this time of the pandemic, which is still with us, it has exposed that part to many people. We were so reliant on those rigid and determined and planned structures the structure of our schedules, our work, our summer plans, entertainment, and all those things we relied on. These were structures. But is that where you get your security from? Is that where security really comes from? It can seem that way. Because, you know, I know what I can depend on. I have so much money in my bank account. I can rely on this person, on that person. Here suddenly that was upended. And we felt unmoored. And we still do. But you don't need to. Just let that vulnerability embrace it, respect it, celebrate it. It actually will give you a string that is indestructible more than all your structures and securities. Paradoxically, why? Because it's the real you. And once you know you can go there, then nothing can defeat you. No wind, no storm can defeat a yielding, flexible reed. Now you'll say, one second, what happens if it's an earthquake? And, you know, and, and, okay, so then the example is not a sufficient one. You have to find other examples. But we all have that indestructible side, which is one and the same as our vulnerability, because vulnerability, remember, comes from our essential, pure self. It's not the weak part of being exposed to others that can dominate and hurt and, 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 and uh, violate and uh, predators and so on. It's coming from the purest you. And as such, when you access it and learn to navigate with it, nothing can destroy you. Not a pandemic and not COVID. And obviously, we need to be prudent about our health, follow guidelines and so on. But we're talking about psychologically, emotionally. You have that indestructible core, which is the same thing as your vulnerable core. Now, this is why it's so tragic when you see children being hurt. Because instead of, if they grew up in a nurturing home, that vulnerability would be celebrated. That trust would never have been violated so they can hold on to it for the rest of their lives and know, you know what, I have a part of me that's so pure and I'm ready to commit to another person with that. I don't need to be afraid. Just think about that. That's exactly what a healthy childhood is. It's the embrace and celebration of your own vulnerability. And then, yes, of course you learn that in this world there are people, unfortunately, that you can't trust or could trust completely, so what you do is, with those people, you put up the proper protection. But that doesn't compromise you. That's part of recognizing realities on this earth. 
But the ultimate goal, as I said earlier, is to fill this world with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. That the waters, that we should all be like fish in water. Feel that nurturing and feel the connection that we all need each other and we are all needed. And a world where there will no be no hostility and no, pre- I don't know, predating pre- is a word? I'm not sure. It sounds like predating. I don't want to use that word. No predators. No exploiters. Because people are in touch with that vulnerable place. This, my friends, is the key. So steps to get there. Step one is you need to learn about this. You need to hear about it. If this intrigues you, if you feel this resonates, find out more. Go to MeaningfulLife.com, search for these words. If you have a question, don't hesitate. Write to us. Communicate with us on whatever platform works for you. We need to talk about this. This is a conversation we must have. It's a conversation with each other, but also a conversation with your own self, your own inner self. That's step number one. Number two, embrace people who talk about this. Because that helps build that courage. People who've been there, many people who've been hurt. Through trauma, they came to realize that inner child, that inner vulnerability. Through the negative. Be with people that have that honesty. The people who know the secret of being real. Number three, actions that feed that part of you. You know what feeds that part of you? When you give instead of taking. Taking is the act of a person who feels that only if I take will I be stronger. Giving is the act of somebody who has no problem. I am very pure with myself. Giving is an act of, that comes from that healthy, vulnerable place. You don't need to feel I have to hoard because if I don't take, if I don't protect myself, no one else will. Be giving. Be generous. Show gratitude. That energy comes from that place and feeds and nurtures the vulnerable, pure you. And finally, share it with others. Share the message that we all originate from a very vulnerable, pure place which didn't have a need for armor and protection. And how can we reintroduce that paradigm, that attitude into our lives today? And it doesn't have to be a dramatic revolution overnight. In your life, extend it to others, and the ripple effect will take hold. These are some suggestions. So if you're celebrating Sukkot, think about it. When you go into the Sukkah, the meaning of it, the significance. It's not just sitting there nice, having a nice meal, guests and friends and singing and celebrating. It's getting in touch. It's bonding with the Sukkah, feeling its hug, its embrace feeling that be the fragile vulnerability of our lives actually is the root of indestructibility. This has been Simon Jacobson. I really am honored for you to share a few moments with you. And uh, please go to MeaningfulLife.com for more resources. We have a whole schedule on our calendar of events that address all human challenges, especially the ones we're facing today. Please share this with others if you liked it. Um, Share your thoughts with us, feedback, critique, suggestions. We're in it. We're all in it together. We're all part of one reality. 
and each of us contributes something that no one else can contribute. So uh, we need each other in a good way. And I say that with uh, love and with uh, vulnerability. And I hope we can cross-pollinate and integrate our uh, different strengths and our different uniqueness in one large cosmic symphony. Thank you again. And uh, it's been an honor. We're here Wednesdays. This program is a live program every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But it's archived. You can access it any time. And um, as I said, we also have many other programs which you can check out at MeaningfulLife.com. Thank you again. God bless you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.